As the left embraces another hate hoax, all other distinctions fade away. This is not the party of AOC or the party of Nancy Pelosi. Democrats have become the party of Jesse Smollett. We will examine the live action role play of the left. Then Republicans cheer on AOC's new Republican challenger. But is the fresher, facer conservative in New York's 14th Congressional District just a wolf in sheep's clothing? We will examine her current statements and her old tweets. Finally, a new report shows Trump hasn't built any wall. And a woman marries her chandelier. Love wins. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Have we got a packed show today? Let's jump right in. A Georgia state representative claimed on Sunday that she was verbally assaulted by a man in a grocery store by a white man. And do you know what he told her? Allegedly, he told her to go back to where she came from. That sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like the chant that briefly some people at a Trump rally were chanting about Ilhan Omar. And more importantly, it sounds like the line that the mainstream media were trying to use against all conservatives everywhere to smear us as bigots and xenophobes and nativists and racists and whatever ist you want to use. When she mentioned this story, this state representative, I did not believe it for even one second. I just want to go on the record. Not for one nanosecond did I believe that a man in a grocery store started yelling at this woman to go back where she came from. A white man, probably wearing a MAGA hat. I knew from the first second that this was Jesse Smollett, the Jesse Smollett of the Georgia State Assembly. And guess what? Turns out I was right. The left believed this. The left believed this immediately. They bought it hook, line, and sinker. Why did they believe it and why did I not believe it? It's because of different premises about America. The left believes that America is hopelessly racist and bigoted. And so therefore, of course, some black state representative would be told to go back to where she came from, go back to Africa in a grocery store. I don't believe that America is hopelessly racist and bigoted. I actually think that America is the most racially tolerant country in the history of the world. We are by, we are this multiracial experiment, this, this completely uh, novel idea, this experiment in mixing different ethnicities and cultures together, all underneath a sort of unified American culture and American national identity, though not a racial identity. And so I just never thought this would happen. Turns out I was right. The Democrats believe this stuff. And, and to their credit, actually, she put on a pretty good performance. Her lawyer, first red flag, her lawyer tweets out this video after the alleged event happened. <sighs> You know, I decided, I decided to go live because I'm very upset because people are getting really out of control with this, with this white privilege stuff. I'm at the grocery store and I'm in the tin out, the out that says 10 items or less. Yes, I have 15 items, but I'm not much pregnant. And I can't stand up for long. And this white man comes. This white man comes up to me and says, "You lazy son of a bitch." He says, "You lazy son of a bitch. You need to go back where you came from." And he says that. I 
listen, sir, you don't even know me. I'm not lazy. I'm not much pregnant. He says, you're ignorant. Okay. So she look, she put on a good performance. She's crying. She now she's a, an elected politician. Elected politicians are all actors. They're all performers. So you got to you got to remember that as well. But what happened? I don't know what happened in the grocery store. Maybe the guy called her some mean name. Maybe the guy was rude. Maybe he was out of line. Maybe he wasn't. I I don't know what happened. But what I am certain of is that he did not tell her to go back to where she came from, to go back to Africa where her ancestors came from or something like that. It's just too perfect a political line for Democrats right now, right after they made a a whole hullabaloo about this Ilhan Omar thing. I just know that that didn't happen. And it looks like I was right because almost immediately this representative, Erica Thomas, showed her cards. She kind of admitted that the story that she was telling on camera wasn't quite true. We'll get to that in a second, but first, cell phone plans and bills are notoriously confusing. More than confusing, they're just, they're, they're overly expensive. You sign up for one thing and then you get charged so much more. It's impossible to know what you're actually paying for with all these hidden fees and, and all these little fees that, you know, it adds up over time and all of a sudden they become huge costs. No more. Thanks to Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. I know you don't believe me. I know because you've been burned too many times. So have I with big wireless. 15 bucks a month. That's it. That's what I'm telling you. 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. Mint Mobile allows you to stop paying for unlimited data that you're never going to use because that is the main tool that big, big wireless uses to steal all your money. So you can choose between plans with 3, 8, and 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. You don't need more than that. You, you, by the, between your home and your office, you're on Wi-Fi most of the day anyway. You, you don't need all of that data that big wireless are cramming down your necks that you don't even use. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan. Keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch old wireless and start saving with Mint Mobile. Get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month. I know you don't believe me. Just try it out. It's, I'm telling you, get the plan shipped to your door for free. Mintmobile.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Mintmobile.com slash Knowles. Don't sacrifice service. Don't sacrifice your phone. Don't sacrifice your contacts. Just cut your wireless bill down to 15 bucks a month. I'm like basically giving you free money. Go to mintmobile.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. So this Georgia State Representative, Erica Thomas, admits almost immediately, once she got off her lawyer's cell phone footage that she tweeted out, once she's doing an interview with the media, they say, so he, hold on, you're telling me that this white man in the grocery store said, go back to where you come from? Did that really happen, Representative Thomas? Here's what she says. He said, he said go back, you know, those types of words. I don't want to say, he, he said, go back to your country or go back to where you came from, but he was making those types of references is what I remember. Hold on, wait, wait, wait. Those types of words? What, what do you mean types of words? He either said go back to where you came from or go back to your country or go back to Africa or go back, or he didn't. What do you mean types of words? What's a, what's a word that's a type of word like go? How about toaster? They've got, they both have O. Are they the similar types of words? What do you mean types of words? Very vague, right? And then she, he backs off it even further. She goes, I'm not going to say that he said go back. 
Uh, you just said it. You said it in a teary-eyed video that your lawyer shot that you tweeted out, obviously for a political game. So she backs off it, right? Because it uh, it just seems like it was too good to be true. This shows why we should all treat these claims of, of hate experiences and hate speech and hate this and hate that with a grain of salt. Then, incredibly, CBS 46, the local CBS affiliate in this area, gets both of these people, the man who allegedly told her to go back home and this representative, Erica Thomas, gets them together in a parking lot to hash out what really happened. And what it turns out is the guy actually isn't white at all. And he's not a Trump supporter and he's not a Republican. He's actually a Hispanic liberal Democrat. And he contradicts her narrative, uh, her first narrative events. I guess it's not her second narrative of events. He gives what he says is the real story on camera with Erica Thomas. Here's what he says. Speaks for every black, brown, and any woman that's out there that's nine months pregnant, and a white man comes up to you and calls you a son of, of, I don't care what I'm you are, white. yes you are. I'm not if white. anybody comes up to you and calls you a son of it, I am facing the man that degraded me and berated me, and I'm not crying. No, I'm not. I'm standing right in front of you. And if you know how you made me feel yesterday. I'm Hispanic. I don't care what she thinks. She's doing it for political purposes, period. Like I said earlier, I'm a Democrat. I will vote Democrat the rest of my life, okay? So to call me what she wants to believe for her political purposes, to make it black, white, brown, or whatever, is so untrue. So I looked into this a little bit because, look, the guy could be lying. Maybe he's lying about being Hispanic. He, he certainly could pass as a white guy, but he could also, he looks kind of Hispanic too. I don't, who knows? Uh, he, maybe he's lying about being a Democrat. Maybe turns out, no, if you look at his social media history, he's a Democrat. Just last week, he was defending the squad, AOC, Ayanna Presley, Ilhan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib. He was actually defending Omar, and Omar is at the center of this, this whole non-troversy because Omar was the, the object of the go-back-home chance, center-back chance. The narrative explodes here. She is the Jussie Smollett of this week. There's going to be another Jussie Smollett next week. There's going to be another Jussie Smollett after that because the left is living in a hoax fantasy land. This guy, whatever he said to her, he might have called her a lot of names, but what he, it seems like he didn't say go back home. He's a liberal Democrat. He's Hispanic. And the best part of it all, Twitter is forever. The internet is forever. Four years ago now, Erica Thomas, this representative tweeted out, quote, Going downtown Atlanta for an event, I hope I magically bump into Jesse Smollett, hashtag biggest fan. You don't say, Representative Thomas. If this were a Hollywood script, if someone just turned this events, these, these events into a Hollywood movie, the studio would reject it. They'd say it's too obvious. It's too on the nose. You can't have her say at the end of it that she's a huge fan of Jesse Smollett, the most famous race hoaxer in the country but that's actually what happened because we're living in the simulation because this is the matrix because it's just too perfect. In the face of a hate hoax like this, all of the other distinctions among Democrats and on the left fade away. This is not the party of AOC or the party of Nancy Pelosi. That's not what unites all of them. What unites all of them are these hate hoaxes. What unites all of them is that 
They see Nazis everywhere. They see concentration camps everywhere. They see racial bigotry everywhere. They're the party of Jesse Smollett. It's a party of LARPers, live action role play. They're playing out a fantasy on the media. They're playing out a fantasy in the halls of Congress. It isn't true. They want to pretend that they're fighting the great civil rights battles that were already fought and, and finished 50 years ago or more, 100 years ago or more, 150 years ago. They're, they're playing that because right now, basically in the grand scheme of things, we don't have any problems. We don't have real problems. So we have to invent fake verbal attacks, fake racial hate hoaxes at, at grocery stores. We have to invent white Trump supporters out of Hispanic liberal Democrats, out of Hispanic liberal Democrats who defend Ilhan Omar. It's a fantasy. And as long as the Democrats, by the way, are living in a fantasy, the GOP is going to have a strong electoral advantage. This is, I think, a lot of how Trump won in 2016 and why he's looking good for 2020 is because you had the left living in this fantasy world of evil racists. Half the country are deplorable, irredeemable bigots. And we looked around and we said, that isn't true. We're the most racially tolerant country in the history of the world. It's cut through that BS. If you campaign on fantasy, you're you're probably not going to win. If you campaign on reality, you have a better chance of winning. This is why AOC in New York's 14th Congressional District is facing a new challenger. Although there is something a little wrong, I think, with this challenger campaign. And I want to get into it because I don't want conservatives and Republicans to, to be taken in by a wolf in sheep's clothing, if that's what she is. So moving from Georgia to New York's 14th over in Queens in the Bronx, The socialist darling, who's really from Northern Westchester, but she pretends she's Jenny from the block, AOC has a new GOP challenger, Shiri Murray. And everyone on the right is really excited about this because she's a woman, because she's an ethnic minority, because she's an immigrant from Jamaica, because she just checks all these boxes. Like we fall into it too on the right. The left focuses on all identity politics. The the left focuses on all of the intersectional boxes. And we rightly say that that's stupid, that politics isn't about those superficial characteristics. It's about ideas and it's about the country and it's about may the best person win regardless of their skin color or their genitals. But we fall into it too because we think "Mm, AOC's campaigning on all those identity politics. Maybe if we campaign on that, we can win. I think it's kind of silly. But sometimes, look, I, I, I understand why it's effective to us because it shuts down most of AOC's arguments. Sometimes in our excitement, I think we don't do our due diligence here. So this woman, Shiri Murray, uh, Murray rather, has been doing the rounds on Fox News and doing the rounds on social media. Here is Murray explaining her campaign on Hannity. Well, it's disgusting. I think the narrative on the national level needs to be dialed back, and that's why I'm in the race. I'd like to represent the constituents in Queens and the Bronx. And uh, we see AOC uh, from the time she's been elected. She put out policy like the job-killing Green New Deal. She then went on to kill the Amazon deal in New York, which would have put some 25,000 jobs uh, in Queens. And so these are some of the reasons, along with kitchen table issues, that I do believe that AOC has neglected in her limelight bid um, to focus on in the congressional district. So this is a little bit vague, isn't it? She's saying she doesn't like the job-killing Green New Deal, and she doesn't like the job-killing Amazon 
deal that AOC, AOC shut down the Amazon deal and took away about 25,000 jobs from around her district. It's a little vague. The problem with the Green New Deal isn't just that it kills jobs. It's that it's, it costs $93 trillion. It's that it won't really do anything to help the environment. It's that it knocks down all of our buildings. It's that it outlaws cars and airplanes and cows, and it takes away our personal choice. And it's that it becomes a, a transfer program for uh, federal funds to people based on their race or their sex or all these strange characteristics. It's that it's, it's profoundly un-American and that it's socialist. And the problem isn't just the jobs. You'll notice when politicians, when all they talk about is job killing and they're really vague on cultural questions, usually it means they don't agree with you on culture and they're, they're trying to hide something about their political views. Whereas President Trump talked about jobs a lot, but he always couched it in culture. He said, we're going to love America. We're going to stop criminals from coming into this country. We're going to kill terrorists. We're going to stop socialism. You know, he, he used pretty specific language, sometimes a little too specific probably when it comes to President Trump, but at least he was telling you where he came from. So it's a bit vague. Hannity asks her to get a bit more specific and she fails to do that. How would you describe yourself politically and and how do you feel about President Trump uh, in the two plus years, the two and a half years he's been in office? Well, I migrated here from Jamaica, and uh, I know firsthand what it is to not just be an immigrant, but to go through the process, right? And so what do I think about what the president is doing? I think that the president is delivering on his promises when he got elected. Huh? Come again? He said, please describe your politics. Please tell us what you think of the president. And she said, I think President Trump is delivering on his promises when he got elected. Now, that's largely true, but it doesn't answer the, either of the questions that Hannity asked. She never describes herself politically. She never explains what she thinks about Donald Trump delivering on his promises. Okay, this kind of confirmed my suspicions when I saw it, but then we found out some really bad news. Murray celebrated when AOC won her primary election last year. She celebrated when AOC beat Joe Crowley in the Democratic primary. Not 10 years ago, not five years ago, one year ago. She tweeted out an article. The article was titled, A 28-Year-Old Democratic Socialist Just Ousted a Powerful 10-Term Congressman in New York. And, and this woman, Sherry Murray, the GOP candidate for Congress, tweeted out, quote, Congratulations, Alexandria. Queens is headed in a new direction, and it's time for new leadership. Hashtag yes. All right, that's not great. I guess there are some possible explanations for this. It could be that she wanted to shake up the Democratic establishment. Okay, that's fair enough. This would be like a kind of accelerationist idea. You want, you want the, the most radical people in your opponent's party to come out because it'll show how crazy they are and then Republicans are more likely to win. Now, I don't know. I mean, she said Queens is headed in a new direction. It was obviously headed to AOC. So it was, it was headed in the direction of socialism. That's probably not great. Hashtag yes, that's not great. The only other explanation is that she didn't know that AOC was a radical socialist, but that one falls apart because the article she tweeted out identified AOC as a socialist. Now, how is, how is Sherry Murray going to answer this? She, the answer she gives is pretty weak sauce. She gave this classic answer that politicians who either don't believe in anything or who don't want you to know what they believe give. She, the answer she gave was a tweet, quote, I was 
hopeful when AOC won. She took on a democratic political machine and won, but nothing has changed since. Why? Because she's only been focused on fame and politics of division and hate. We deserve and expected better. That's why I'm running. Join us. You were hopeful when a socialist won the primary? You were hopeful when a radical socialist beat a relatively more moderate Democrat? What, what about that made you hopeful? What were you hoping for? I mean, this is the classic answer. It's a smart answer in the sense that some people who are centrist politically or more moderate who don't pay attention to politics, you could see them saying, look, I was hopeful when Obama won that he would be good, but then he was bad. I know actually a number of people who are now Trump supporters who said that. I was hopeful when Obama won, but he wasn't good, and so I, now I'm more conservative. Part of the reason it's plausible with Obama is Obama only spoke in vague terms, hope and change. You know, kind of like the terms that Shiri Murray is talking in. But AOC didn't speak in vague terms. She said, I'm a socialist and I want socialism. That's what she campaigned on. So what were you hopeful for? You were hopeful that she would be socialist, right? And then she wasn't? I mean, what do you mean you were hopeful that something would happen and then nothing has changed? The only thing that AOC would change is that she would make the country more socialist. Change in itself isn't good. You change in one direction or the other. If she made the country more American, more conservative, made us more economically competitive, made us uh, love our country more, that would be a good thing. But if she did the thing she said she was going to do, which you said you were hoping for, then that would make the country much worse. That change would be terrible. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Last year, she celebrated a socialist winning an election, but now she knows better. Is that what she's saying? Either she's still a left winger or just 12 months ago, she exhibited egregious judgment and ignorance. Either way, this is a bad sign. Now I'm, I'm interested in this race because AOC and I grew up in exactly the same place. We grew up one town apart from each other at exactly the same time. We're the same age and we've had similar life experiences. So I'm curious about it. I'm also curious about it because AOC and I have spent about the same amount of time in her current congressional district. And I'm interested in it because this is, she is the leader of the Democratic Party, right? I mean, she is the fresh face. DNC chairman Tom Perez said she's the future of the party. She gets all the media attention. So this is going to be an important race. And I just don't want conservatives and Republicans to get hoodwinked by a fraud. I'm not saying that Murray is definitely a fraud. I'm saying there are a lot of questions about her. So if, uh, if Ms. Murray wants to come on the show and talk about it, I'd be happy to have her on, but she's got a lot of answers to give. She's got a lot of explaining to do. There are other Republicans in this race and uh, I just don't want conservatives to fall into that trap of saying, oh, look, she checks all of the intersectional boxes. She'll be really good to run against AOC, when in fact, she may be quite left-wing herself, much more left-wing than other people in the race. We'll just have to follow it. And if Ms. Murray wants to come on the show, she's more than welcome. In even crazier news than AOC, I know it's hard to imagine anything crazier than AOC, but in the realm of news that is crazier than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a woman is marrying her 91-year-old chandelier. That's that. I almost could end the show right there, but no, let's look into it. It's a bit of a May-December relationship, obviously. The chandelier is much older than the 35-year-old woman, but love is love. You know, hashtag. And love wins. Hashtag, hashtag. And this woman obviously has a right to marry her love, right? Here she is explaining her nuptials. 
Just like anybody who falls in love with somebody else, they want to be close to them. And so I enjoy being close to my chandeliers. I've admired them for years. I've loved the way that they've looked. I've loved the way that the light catches on the little crystals. And, and I've just loved them in general. I think they're beautiful things. I think it's good in the world to have a bit of variety have different types of people, if we were all the same, the world would be a really boring place. All right, that's Amanda Liberty. Her name is Amanda Liberty. It used to be Amanda Whitaker, but she changed her name to Amanda Liberty a number of years ago when she entered into a different uh, romantic relationship. She entered into a long-distance relationship with, I'll give you five seconds to guess. Her name's Amanda Liberty. Who was she in a long-distance relationship with? She was in a long-distance relationship with the Statue of Liberty. Here she is then. When I met Lady Liberty, um, the flags already knew and had a friendship with Lady Liberty. They were already friends. So I wasn't, it didn't feel like I was cheating on anybody. The first part of Libby that I fell in love with was her crown and her torch as well, but it was a crown that initially got me attracted to her. I just want to be able to tell people that I love her because I am proud of loving her. I am really proud to have her. I'm really proud that she's part of my life. She's proud. Didn't we just celebrate Pride? Pride Month? Didn't we just celebrate all the different sorts of sexual identity and gender identity and sexual attraction? This woman actually does have a, a sexual orientation that is recognized, which is the sexual orientation toward inanimate objects. Obviously, she seems a little crazy. Does she? Maybe that's hate speech if I say that she seems a little crazy. Maybe I'll get kicked off of YouTube if I say she seems a little crazy. We will examine the similarities and differences between late, uh, Chris Whitaker Liberty or Amanda Liberty's attraction to famous statues and 91-year-old chandeliers, and the rest of our sexual morality. We'll explain why this is the logical or illogical, I guess, conclusion of so much of the left's view on sex. Then we will explain the greatest irony of the 2020 race, and it has to do with Bernie Sanders' campaign. And then finally, a masterstroke from President Trump on Twitter, which I'll, uh, the mainstream media obviously are ignoring. A lot of the conservative media are ignoring it. I think to the, the conservative movement's peril, we'll explain why President Trump is so interested in ASAP Rocky, dollar sign rapper. But we'll get to that in a second. But first, you got to go to dailywire.com. $10 per month, $100 for an annual membership. What do you get? What don't you get? You get me. You get the Andrew Clavin Show. You get the Ben Shapiro Show. You get the Matt Wall Show. You get to ask questions in the mailbag coming up on Thursday. You get to ask questions backstage. You get another kingdom. You get all of it. And you get the leftist tears tumbler. This is really, mm, that's really good. It tastes like exposing their hate hoaxes. It, that's what it, it tastes like the feeling of exposing their ridiculous, divisive narratives. Like for instance, if I were walking in South Central uh, Chicago in the middle of the night, you know, and I were walking there and I I had some people in MAGA hats come up to me and tell me this is MAGA country and beat me up. I would not drop my leftist tears tumbler. I couldn't because when those hoaxes are exposed, I got to catch those tears or I will drown. Go to dailywire.com. We've got a lot more. We'll be right back. 
this woman, Amanda Liberty, I wonder if she'll change her name to the chandelier. The chandelier's name is Lumiere, like in the movie Beauty and the Beast. So maybe she'll become Amanda Lumiere after this. She says that she's really proud of her attraction to inanimate objects, to Lady Liberty and to the chandelier. She has an open relationship with the chandelier. She sleeps with different chandeliers in her bed every night. That's not a joke. She actually does that. I don't mean to make fun of a crazy woman. She's obviously very mentally unbalanced. It's probably not good for these journalists in the UK to go into her house and film her because she's a crazy person. However, it's instructive for our culture because this is a devastating report for the love is love sexuality, for the love is love view of sexual morality. Hashtag love wins. This woman describes her marriage to a chandelier in precisely the same way in which the left describes the evolving definitions of sex and gender, right down to the emphasis on the word pride. I'm so proud of it. She says, quote, I'm determined to have this commitment ceremony to prove that I'm here for Lumiere and that my love is going to last. I know a lot of people think my attraction to chandeliers is strange, but I'm not crazy. Obviously, she's crazy, but she's no crazier than a man who says he's a woman. She's no crazier than a man who feels in some metaphysical way that he wants to be a woman. And I'm not even using crazy as a pejorative term. I'm saying he's got something wrong in his psychology and he should be treated for it. And we should treat this woman for it. And we should be compassionate toward her. But we shouldn't indulge her fantasy that she's married to a 91 chandelier any more than we should indulge the fantasy that a man, a grown man, is secretly a six-year-old girl and therefore should go into the little girl's changing room or the girl's bathroom because that isn't true. As far as I can tell, there are three main premises of the new concept of sexual morality. We've discarded traditional sexual morality, theology of the body, traditional uh, sexual mores. We threw that away in the 1960s. That's gone for most of the pop culture. So what is the new sexual morality? I think it's got three premises. One, other than pedophilia and bestiality, all sexual desires are good. This is the love is love idea. For some reason, pedophilia and bestiality are excluded, but everything else Love is love. Every other sexual desire is not not only not bad, not only neutral, it's actually positively good. Why is that? Well, it's because of the second premise. No sexual desire other than pedophilia and bestiality should ever be repressed. You should never, if you have some sexual desire, whether it's to sleep with another person who isn't your wife or whether it's to, I don't know, do whatever you want to do, it should never be repressed. This is the love wins idea of sexual morality. And then the third premise is if it doesn't hurt anyone else and it feels good, do it. And actually, you've got to even sort of modify that third premise because you can hurt each other. I mean, people embrace Fifty Shades of Grey, BDSM, sadomasochism. So really what you would say is if it doesn't hurt anyone else without his or her consent, and it feels good, do it. And we, there are still these, the left still looks down on pedophilia and bestiality. Although you're seeing in kind of these far left academic conferences, a movement afoot to normalize pedophilia as well. And obviously you've got pedophilia in the news because of the Jeffrey Epstein underage sex trafficking scandal that uh, 
is apparently ensnared Bill Clinton, who flew on Jeffrey Epstein's jet 27 times, even though the jet was nicknamed the Lolita Express. Those are the three premises though, okay? This woman is embracing all of those premises. She says, quote, people often can't understand that this is just a natural orientation for me. Look at those words, natural orientation. I was born this way. It's my orientation. It's not my desire. It's not my preference. It's my orientation. I'm fundamentally oriented to want to sleep with a 91-year-old chandelier. Well, if you're fundamentally oriented that way, you can't change it. She goes on, that I can find the beauty in objects and can sense their energy. Okay, she's finding this beauty. How dare you frown on beauty? She senses their energy. Maybe you can't sense their energy, but she can. Don't erase her lived experience. Don't deny her truth. She goes on, I'm not hurting anyone by entering into a relationship with them. I am simply just following my heart. Here it is. I'm not hurting anyone. If she's not hurting anyone, what's it to you? Who are you to say that this is harmful? Look, there are plenty of normal relationships that are really harmful. They're probably a lot worse than her relationship to the chandelier. Why not just let her alone? It's not, she's not hurting anyone else. She might be hurting herself. She might be living in a fantasy and deluding herself, but she's not hurting anyone else. So who cares? Using the current sexual morality. Can you explain why that's wrong? What she said. You, I'm not saying using traditional views of sexual morality. I'm saying using the current popular view. You can't, you can't say she's wrong. So that leaves two options. Either you can conclude that what she's doing, marrying a chandelier, is not wrong, or you can conclude that the current sexual morality is somehow lacking. The current sexual morality is insufficient to describe reality. I have a feeling that as a culture, what we're going to do is just say, you know, there's nothing really wrong with marrying a chandelier because that's easier and you don't have to tell someone that their desires ought to be repressed or that their desires are wrong. In order to speak about this in a serious way, in a way that has something to do with the truth, in the way that we all know on a base level that you shouldn't marry a 91-year-old chandelier, that actually there's no such thing as marrying a 91-year-old chandelier. In order to speak about this, you need to be able to speak about ordered and disordered desires. Not every one of my desires is good. Some of them are bad. Many of them are bad. That means that we need to be able to speak about purpose, what your love is made for, what your love is ordered toward. Your love is not made for 91-year-old chandeliers. Your sexual desires are not made for the Lady Liberty statue. That means that we need to be able to speak about objective truth. You can't marry a chandelier. Whatever the definition of marriage is, it's, all, it's never involved chandeliers. All we have left in our culture is sentimentality. We have Hallmark card culture. I love this. I sense the beauty of this. I, ha- I sense the energy of this. I'm not hurting anyone. Love is love. Love wins. If we can't come up with an answer, if we can't be mature and discuss serious things, love, joy, purpose, telos, the good, religion, culture. If we can't talk about those things like adults, then we're all going to start marrying chandeliers. <laughs> we're go- maybe uh, We'll at least be in a culture where people are marrying chandeliers. You know, what this woman is saying is the sort of thing that a three-year-old would say. Say, I love my teddy bear. I want to marry my teddy bear. Say, oh, that's cute. It's cute when a two-year-old or three-year-old says that. It's not so cute when a 35-year-old says that. But our culture because we are largely uneducated and largely uncultured, and I'm not, this is not a knock on anybody, this is true 
throughout society, in many ways, the so-called elites are the least educated people among us. We're all behaving like overgrown children. We're living in a very childish culture, and you're going to see a lot more chandelier weddings. On the realm of actual hard, real politics of people trying to behave like adults, but maybe it doesn't quite happen, let's turn to a serious, a serious, hardcore, urgent, immediate political problem, the problem on our southern border. It turns out, according to a report now from U.S. Customs and Border Protection, President Trump has not built a single mile of new fencing since he's been in office. That's according, maybe there's another report that will contradict that, but according to U.S. Customs and Border Protection, all the fencing that has been built since Trump was elected has been built in place of dilapidated designs. 51 miles have been built with the money set aside in 2017 and 2018. This has only replaced outdated walls. Since Trump took office, they've built 1.7 miles on average per month, none in areas that previously lacked fencing. 205 miles of new and replacement wall has been funded since Trump took office. Now, in their defense, why have they only focused on replacing walls rather than building new walls? It's because it's way easier to replace the walls. Not just the Democrats in Congress obstructing it, but the environmental laws, the regulations from the EPA, the regulations from the bureaucracy, what we call the deep state. It's much easier to get the environmental and zoning permits in the areas that already have walls than to get them elsewhere even five feet of new fencing. This shows the immense difficulty of building the wall. Nevertheless, President Trump needs to come up with a plan here and he needs to build that wall. He has to do it. He keeps insisting that he's built a lot of the wall. Here's President Trump back in February. that wall because we built a lot of it. It's a good line. I I wish it were true, but it it isn't true. He's built, he's rebuilt portions of the wall, but he has not built new wall. And eventually people are going to notice that there's no new wall. Maybe now, maybe it's happening right now. Trump has been very good at fulfilling campaign promises, but this was a key promise of his campaign and he hasn't done it. And it's going to be a glaring weakness in 2020 unless he comes up with an answer to it, unless he starts breaking ground on new wall, unless he can reframe this issue. Uh, it, it's, it's really depressing news, but it's, it's why you've, you, you don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. You, it's fine to make big promises. You've got to fulfill them. This is not one of those issues where Trump is going to be able to get away with it, where he's going to be able to say, well, we meant, we really meant rebuilding old walls. No, you have to build new wall. I know it's hard. The White House has my sympathy. Yeah, it's hard to be the president. It's hard. It's hard. And when you make those promises, you've got to fulfill them. People are going to be chanting, build the wall, finish the wall. If there's no wall, we're all going to look like we have egg on our face. Bad position to be in. The the White House needs to put some focus on this. Uh, Now, this is not to recommend any of the left-wing presidential campaigns or the Democrat presidential campaigns. They are almost all falling apart. And the best story, the best one of all, is in the Bernie Sanders campaign. There is a new report out that shows that Bernie Sanders, the socialist, he wants $15 minimum wage for everyone, pay everybody as much money as we can. He is not paying his own campaign staffers very much. He's paying them less than he wants the minimum wage to be. What a hypocrite. Now, look, when I saw the report that he's not paying his staffers much, I think that's not a big deal. 
First of all, campaign work is often very basic work. It's not, it's not worth $15 an hour if you're just passing out pamphlets or putting up yard signs or something. It's actually not, it's very basic work that virtually anyone can do if they're motivated to do it. A lot of people on campaigns volunteer because they actually care about it, right? Campaigns are not motivated by making a profit, or they shouldn't be at least. They're supposed to be nonprofit organizations. They're supposed to be motivated by activism rather than money. The campaigns don't have much money to begin with. They want to use it carefully. They want to use it mostly on media buys. My first campaign that I ever worked on, I made on average 75 cents per hour. And that was about right. That's what they should have paid because campaigns have to run lean. The trouble is the hypocrisy. The trouble is Bernie is running on a $15 minimum wage and he won't extend that courtesy to his own employees. So last Thursday night, his staff leaks this story to the press that they've unionized and they're fighting for the $15 minimum wage. And Bernie, the fake union champion, is fighting them on it. He's trying to crush their union. So after this leaks to the press, it gets even better because the Bernie campaign responds and says, it is disrespectful to the bargaining unit that put so much work into this process that someone would take their concerns and go to the press. Whatever happened to democracy dies in darkness? Whatever happened to transparency? Get it all out there. Very different when it affects a left-wing campaign. Now, that's not even the best part of the story, that Bernie doesn't practice what he preached, that like all socialists, that he's a total hypocrite. The best part of the story is, now that this has come to the press's attention and the public's attention, Bernie has to give them $15 if he's not going to look like a total fraud. But there's only so much money. So how is he going to do this? He's promised he'll pay his workers $15 an hour and cut their hours. He's doing, he's showing you what happens under socialism. He's showing you what happens when you raise the minimum wage. There's only one true minimum wage. It's $0 an hour. You're not entitled to a job at a company or on a campaign. She's saying, okay, we'll give you $15 an hour, but we're not, that's not magically going to make more money appear. So we're just going to have to cut your hours. Big win for labor, right? No, it's actually a big loss for labor because they're losing. He's not paying them any more money. He's just taking away their opportunities to work. And by the way, the purpose of working on a campaign is not to make money. There are a lot easier ways to make money. It's to get experience. It's to network. It's to push forward your ideas. He says, quote, I'm very proud to be the first presidential candidate to recognize a union and negotiate a union contract. Well, it turns out Bernie's learning about socialism for the first time, right? He's always, he talks about socialism his whole life. The reason he's never learned about socialism is because he has always failed to implement his ideas. He's been in, in the government for about 50 years. He's never implemented any of his ideas, right? He's just, he's transformed ideologically the Democratic Party. It's now ideologically his party, but he's never actually affected any of his ideas. So he's never, he's never dealt with the consequences of them. Now he's learning in real time that his ideas don't work. Money doesn't just come from the sky, that you, you can't just raise the minimum wage without any consequence, and that actually raising the so-called minimum wage often, if not always, hurts the people that it's intended to help. Before we go, I have to talk about this ASAP Rocky tweet. President Trump sent out a tweet over the weekend that is his most popular tweet of all time. I'm, I sometimes wonder if dead loved ones came back to life, and I had to explain to them all the craziness that's happened since they've been gone. What, what I would tell them first I would read them this tweet. That's how I would explain all of it. This is from President Trump, quote, 
Just spoke to Kanye West about his friend ASAP Rocky's incarceration. I will be calling the very talented Prime Minister of Sweden to see what we can do about helping ASAP Rocky. So many people would like to see this quickly resolved. It's a stunning tweet. I mean, so many people. I don't even know who ASAP Rocky is. I barely know who Kanye West is. This is Trump's most popular tweet of all time. 209,000 retweets, 729,000 likes. I mean, in a very technical way, this is by far the most popular tweet he's ever sent. And it shows you Trump's superpower, which is the culture. So ASAP Rocky got, or he was arrested in Sweden because his team got into a fight with some guys who looked like they had been harassing ASAP Rocky. And Trump gets involved in this. He is the most pop culture aware president since Reagan, and even more than Reagan. Because when Reagan was in the White House, he was palling around with Sinatra and Jimmy Stewart. He was palling around with stars of an earlier era. Trump is palling around with Kanye West and calling about ASAP Rocky. He is so in the culture. And it, it shows you, look, I don't, I don't know ASAP Rocky. I don't listen to his music. I don't know anything he's ever sang. I barely listen to any Kanye West. This is true of most people who spend their life in politics because you're just focused on politics all the time and you're not, especially conservatives, you're not listening to hip hop a lot or rap. But we have to be aware of something. We have to be aware of our blindness. Most people don't care about Kamala Harris's healthcare plan. Most people have no idea what it is and have never thought about it for two seconds. But most people in the pop culture know who ASAP Rocky is. Most people care a lot more that a guy named ASAP Rocky is in a Swedish prison than that Kamala Harris might abolish private health insurance. Justin Bieber is now talking about Tyga. All these different guys in pop culture are boycotting Sweden to help their friend ASAP Rocky. And this goes down through the culture. Trump is the proof of the Breitbart, Andrew Breitbart slogan. Politics is downstream of culture. He is the culture. And for those conservatives especially who say, oh, Trump, Stop tweeting about ASAP Rocky and Kanye. Forget about Kanye. Who cares? You are missing politics. Politics is the art of inclusion. Politics is the art of popularity. And this tweet about ASAP Rocky and Kanye West is the most popular thing the president has ever tweeted. He gets it. Maybe this guy, I know it's so hard for those of us to believe, who, those of us who talk about politics all the time. This guy, maybe he knows what he's doing. Maybe President Trump knows how to bring people together. Maybe he knows how to talk to a whole group of Americans, maybe the majority of Americans, in a way that is obviously political, but in a way that isn't just harping on the same old, dry, wonky, think tank luncheon kind of topics that have led other conservatives to fail at elections. You know, people knock Trump for watching Fox News too much not going to enough luncheons at think tanks. They knock him for watching, for getting all his news from Fox and Friends or wherever. Between a luncheon at a think tank and Fox and Friends, between reading the latest dissertation in some intellectual political journal and listening to ASAP Rocky and talking to Kanye West, guess which gives you the better pulse on politics? We talked about the difference between fantasy world and reality. This affects conservatives in politics too, because I think so, we have this fantasy world of politics where wh everything that matters is about intellectual dissertations in political journals, journals of political philosophy. The Democrat fantasy world is that it's this awful, racial, bigoted, maniac place, not, you know, Nazis everywhere. 
the reality of it is a lot closer to we love our country, we like our flag, and a lot of Americans like ASAP Rocky. President Trump is tapping into that. It's a little weird for those of us who don't care about the pop culture that much, who don't care about hip hop, but maybe the guy is onto something. Maybe Andrew Breitbart was onto something too. That's our show. Tune in tomorrow. We got a lot more to get to. We'll have to do it tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you then. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Rebecca Dobkowitz and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio is mixed by Dylan Case. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera, and our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey guys, over on the Matt Wall Show, a Democratic lawmaker claims that she was the victim of a racist verbal assault at the grocery store. The media bought her story, of course. Democrats bought her story. The left was running with it. And then it turns out, shockingly, twist ending, there is more to the story than she originally let on. Uh, So we're going to talk about that today. Also, a man in Canada is trying to legally force women to touch his genitals. And he might actually succeed in in his quest because he claims to be a woman himself. This is an insane, just absolutely crazy case. We'll talk about it today over on The Matt Walsh Show.